from stocking shelves as a college dropout in a town of 300 people to being the youngest executive in a Fortune 199 oil and gas company, most recently the president of the U.S. Christian Chamber of Commerce and author of the book, The Best Robot Wins, I am glad to introduce to you Crystal Parker. You know, there's a special business anointing from people that come from very lowly or unlikely or very small places. And I thought that I came from a small town, but I found out there are towns that exist even smaller than, than mine. I would say I come from a, a one stoplight town and I found there are towns that have zero stoplights. And so Crystal, you came from a town of 300 people to find your way to graduating from Harvard Business School leading companies at the highest level, Fortune 200, leading executives at the highest level, and now truly bringing impact to the country and I believe to the world. What was the defining moment for you when you realized I am built for so much more than this 300 person town? <laughs> well, it's funny because I used to say we had 300 people and that includes dogs, cats, and dead people, okay? <laughs> I mean, we're trying to count as many people in that number as we could. I tell you, I always felt like I was called to do something outside of that town. And I felt like I outgrew it way before I probably should have. And so I couldn't wait to leave that small town and go on my journey and get started. And I got out there and went to college and I failed. I absolutely failed. And I ended up dropping out of school with 21 hours left. And let me tell you, it was so hard to go back to that small town where everybody knows you, you know this, you know how it is because when everybody knows your story, your name, you may have a nickname that you hold for your whole life and all the whispers and oh, she's back and oh, she didn't make it. And I didn't have a choice. I had to go back and I had to start over. Now, as I look back on my life, I realize sometimes like if you're making a cake or something and you baked it, you forgot a major ingredient, you just have to throw it out and start all over. And that's absolutely what I had the opportunity to do. God just took me right back to that small town and I got, I got to start over and I got to do it right. And I got involved in business. I was actually stocking shelves in a truck parts store, which just happened to be a subsidiary of an oil and gas company. So I'm a part-time employee. I'm completely broken. I had to uh, really just pick myself up and say, I need to work. I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And as God would have it in less than, in less than 11 years, I became the youngest executive in this Fortune 199 oil and gas company. And it wasn't because of anything that I did. It's because of what the calling that God had on my life. And he put so many people in my path that saw something in me that I didn't see. People that believed in me, people that would say, you're going to do this. You can do that before I even realized that that was a gifting or calling in my life. And so I just got to show up. And that's when I started to realize there's something more here. And more than anything, it was just this real love for business and a growing relationship with God. You are so skilled in the sport of business. I remember the first time I met you, we were at an event together in Tampa and you ended your introduction with, and business is my sport. And, and that got the whole room fired up. So what is your, what's the favorite, what's your favorite thing about your sport, your chosen profession in business? 
You bet. Well, I say school is never out for the professional. So many times when people reach that top executive office, or even maybe they've been gunning for supervisor and they get there, the work doesn't stop. When you think about we're right again, it's kicking off the Olympics right now. And when you think about these Olympic athletes or professional athletes, it is their sport. It's their, their they craft it. They surround themselves with the, the best trainers, the best coaches, the best players to create the being the best that they can be. Well, why is business any different? And that's how I see it. I, I hone my craft. I work at it every day. I read, I grow, and I really work to develop myself so I can be the best leader. And I invest in myself because I think that's important. I am, I, I am in no way in any kind of belief that I know everything that somebody needs to know, but I'm willing to grow and continue to grow so I can be the very best me that I can be. And that's what I strive for every day. I'm already sensing a pattern of humility, a pattern of humility in learning and growing and being teachable, but also the pattern of humility or what I'm seeing in humility from stocking shelves to being the youngest executive that had to come with some sort of humility that says, I'm just going to do my best right here. Tell us a little bit more about that story, how you went from stocking shelves in your small hometown to being the youngest executive in this company. Well, people ask me that a lot. And the truth of the matter is, it's not anything that I did. It was the fact that, well, when I was younger, my dad told me, Crystal, you're not as smart as your brother and sister. And you know what? He was right. I wasn't. 85% of job success comes from well-developed people skills. And he was in education. And so he thought that my success was going to be contingent on my ability to know and understand the book smarts. And school was hard for me. So I mean, there was many, many nights that I would be up at the kitchen counter and I'd be studying well into and past midnight to try to get C's and B's. And my dad was right. I wasn't as smart as my brother and sister, but I had great people skills. And so when I started to really lean into what that meant, having good people skills and working well with people and humility is part of that, but also recognizing that other people have something valuable that would help. So I was really good at putting teams together, really good at helping lead the team and align the mission. And so when I just started kind of pushing for bringing in the right people around me that were different than me, it, it was unbelievable what happened. And I just built some great teams around me. Wow. We here at True Strategy say when you accelerate relationships, you accelerate results. And I always love when I get to hear from professionals like you have been, who have been around the sun a time or two more than I have, or many, many more times in, in experience to say that 85% of success is contingent on people skills. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are those people skills? Yeah, well, that's interesting. And, and really what I wanted to dive into with my book as well, because I want people to understand that if there's a balance, you, you've got to have individuals on your team that are great at leading people, people skills, being leadership, listening, communicating, uh, just being able to really uh, coach and develop others 
motivate, inspire. Those are the people skills. And then on the other side of that sort of dichotomy of a successful business and business team is strategy. People that love numbers, people that, that would rather do a to-do list and check off things than go talk to anybody. We need those folks too. And so when, whenever you put those together, it creates this winning combination uh, that can absolutely accelerate teams. And I, and I love your tagline. That is fantastic. Thank you. We're thinking about getting it trademarked. We kind of like it ourselves. But, <laughs> you better uh, you better do it. You're saying it. You better hurry up. I know exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we'll connect offline for sure. Tell me why though is it so in your experience, why is it so tempting to focus on and stay on the result? I understand the ebbs and flows of sometimes we really have to drive home the result and sometimes we have the leisure of caring for the relationship, but too often I see, and I'm sure you've experienced this more often, we get stuck on the result. Why does that happen from your perspective and your experience? You know, it's, it's, that's so that's loaded. We could sit, we could stay right here for at least two days and just, just absorb what you just said. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of things, you know, um, one of those is, being very results driven uh, for me initially and early in my career was I was afraid to fail. I was, I had a great fear of failure and I saw anything less than hitting that target as failure. I, there was, you know, and, and now it's so funny. What I tell people is fail quick and adapt faster. I want people to fail. I was in this exercise. There's probably about 30 leaders in the room and they had some story or something that they were trying to tell. And everybody had a piece that they couldn't show anybody else, but you had to kind of get in line in the order of the story based on the one piece that you couldn't tell. And I was itchy. I was like physically was feeling itchy. I wanted people just get in line. Let's fail. Then we can figure out what the story is, right? Instead of going into the detritus. And so I think for the, for the biggest thing is sometimes people are so afraid to fail that they, they'll fight to get to that target. And you see, it. we saw it with Microsoft. I mean, he made it, he got there, but because he was so focused that this is it, that he was not willing to evolve and adapt and almost cost him the company. Um, and then the second piece of that, that I think is really important to notice this, and this is something I've really come into in the last probably 30 to 60 days. And it's really getting, and I have an agenda and I have a plan every day and I have things I want to accomplish. But sometimes we schedule ourselves so tight that we don't allow time for the Holy Spirit, for God to drive us and move us in the direction that he would have us. So really opening that day up and saying, you know, have your way in my life use me for your kingdom, having an idea on your agenda. But what's been really funny to me is, is when those times come in that maybe there's a group of people, I just say, you know what, can I pray for you? And I don't have time to do it, but God always allows me the time to get those things done and still be in the moment in the spirit and be able to accomplish the mission that he has for my life, which is far greater than anything I could ever say for me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me of a silly example. I'm always drawing correlations to teaching or leadership and it's just fun for me. Like it's like a, an active puzzle throughout the day, but when I see something and I can connect it to leadership, you just reminded me of something I thought about earlier this week. When you go to a coffee shop, 
and you ask for just a black coffee. And I, I was unaware of this because I just get black coffee for all of yeah. you. Now, you know, it's just black coffee, whether cold brew or just regular coffee. You have to ask for room if you want room. If not, they're just going to fill it up. And I'm still flushing out this idea because in the same way, if we don't ask for room or are intentional about making room, then the people around you, your job, your, 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 your workplace, your business, whatever, it's just going to fill up all your space. You have to be intentional about asking for room because they're just going to fill it up. And so, you know, we're letting the baristas of the world just fill our cup to the top. And then we have no room for anything else, in particular, our guidance from the spirit. And so I wasn't going to release that thought yet because I'm You're still lit. through it. You're but. Lit. Oh, uh, this, I mean, for your audience, they know this already, but this is absolutely why I was so drawn to you because you are, you're so sharp to get that to understand that that's exactly what we end up doing in our lives to try to get to that end target that you're talking about. Man, that's a beautiful, I, you know what? I'm probably going to give you credit for about the first five times I use it. Yeah. But after that, I'm taking all the credit. Go ahead. That's so good, man. Go ahead. Take it. Absolutely. And likewise, I'm going to borrow uh, school is never out for the professional. So, you know, we'll just know, we'll, we'll, we'll know. But again, um, I had a, I have a friend who works on with the John Maxwell executive council and he calls it casing copy and steal everything. And so, but, you know, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm sure someone out there had mentioned the coffee thing before, but, but it is so true. You know, we, 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 we put ourselves in these corners where we only have the result to focus our way out. And I think about relationships as, you know, the feast or famine, thinking of Joseph in the seven years of feast or plenty, and then the seven years of famine, we need to be storing up in the relationships of those that we lead when there's plenty. So that way, then when we're in the famine and we need to focus on the result, we've already stored up in the relationship, right? We've already invested so much there that now we can get through it together. Because if you've not invested in the relationship, and now you're in a famine and you need to push for the result. That's why we see businesses uh, like they did through COVID experiencing a greater, greater number of attrition or loss because they, there was no relationship there. Why am I going to stay here in your business? You've never cared for me. I'll go start my own thing. I'll go work for Zoom and stay at home, you know, but um, tell me about now. So I'm just going to speak it into ex existence. Your book, The Best Robot Wins going from a small town of 300 stocking shelves to the youngest executive at a fortune 199 company, Harvard business graduate to best-selling author. Tell me about the book, the best robot wins. Well, the tagline on it is it ain't personal. It's just business. And I'll tell you, Pete, I got a lot of pushback from my publisher about that title. They said it's cold. It's impersonal. It feels very tech driven. And I said, perfect. That's exactly what I want. Because I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Uh, leave your problems at the door when you go into the workplace. Yes. Take off your personal hat and put on your company hat. You've probably heard it ain't personal. It's just business. I don't know how many times I've said that. It ain't personal. It's just business. But businesses are filled with people and people are individuals. And within the individual lies the collective power of a company's competitive advantage 
within the people. So the systems and processes, if they're aligned to extract and grow that individual, then you can copy a phrase, you can copy a menu, you can copy a business, you can copy uh, uh, their visuals, the images, whatever, but what you cannot copy is the, per the person, the individual. And if you can align a company and structure it in a way that is able to extract the maximum value from the human capital, then you have a competitive advantage. Here's wow. what I'm finding. Fortune 500 companies, the lifespan used to be about 75 years for a Fortune 5. Now it's 15, accelerating rapidly towards destruction. Now, why is that? Because you're a business nerd like I am. So you have to go like, why is that? Right? We've heard the phrase, if culture eats strategy or that culture eats strategy for breakfast. We've heard that. But why is everybody hungry? Why are these businesses failing? We've got better data. We've got better technology. We've got behavior. And you know what's happened? In my opinion, that's what this book is about, is that we've gone into a robot revolution and we've utilized artificial intelligence. And I highly encourage people to use our AI where you can replace those jobs where you can. But what we end up doing is we treat the people as a byproduct of the business. And so if they're no longer skilled for the business, they're gone. Now you're losing capital. You're, you're losing dollars. You're losing, you have opportunity costs. You're using, you're losing intelligence in your business, passion, people that have given their life for your company. And you're bringing them in thinking that you're going to bring in new people. So it's a churn. You're losing money. I teach about reskilling and upskilling people similar to what you, what you talk about that, you know, this book, while it may seem cold, it, it really is until you open it up and understand that we have to structure the company, but we have to bring in the right people. And so therefore there has to be a balance between strategy and leadership. Well, people aren't wired that way. People are either wired one way or the other. So it's really about creating the harmony between the two. And I use two parables to help illustrate that because I really believe that the greatest business book that's ever been written is the Holy Living Truth, the Holy Living Bible. It is an instruction manual for business owners if they would just open the book and understand and look and say, God, teach me how to, to run my business the way that you would have and how you run the kingdom. So I'm, I'm, I could go on all day, my friend. I'm so passionate about this book. I yes. think that it's going to really impact business culture. I pray that it does. And I can't wait to see what God does with it. Yes. Well, I want to emphasize again, the best robot wins.com. Most of our listeners are business owners or aspiring business owners. You need to read that book. I can't wait. I'm glad that the link is live now. I know as soon as I get off of this, I'm going to go order my copy because we're just so aligned in that in, in building people first, truly, and knowing that, you know, it's the people and systems are good, but the systems need to exist to serve the people, not mm -hmm. the people to serve the systems. And, yes. and, and you're the, the expert in this arena with the book. I cannot wait to read it, but any system left unchecked will start to serve itself. Ooh, so it's good to have the powerful. systems, but you cannot make the people serve the systems. They will walk away. And that's what we, we discussed in a conversation uh, 
before just personally connecting about how now leaders or fortune 500 CEOs I'm seeing now from, from the average lifespan of being 75 years to 15 years, show up and do your job, get a retirement and go home. That used to be okay. Now people want culture. They want purpose. They want to be able to exist in that calling and they'll take half the pay. So you think I'm paying them handsomely. I'm paying them generously. They'll stick around. No, they won't. That is not the generation that's coming up now. And you can fight it or you can learn how to create a culture that truly is driven on purpose and mission. And we could talk all day. We will, I will have you back on for another episode. I promise. I'm going to like take this and just use this as like a thing for the book because you're so right. And I even, I've even brought in Maslow's hierarchy of needs to help illustrate that intrinsic motivator for people because they just need their basic needs met. As long as you're, you're paying them at a fair wage that they can meet their needs, that's how you start to move them up. Then you go into safety and some of the other layers of that hierarchy of needs. It's not about pay. 70 plus percent of people would forego a raise to see their boss fired. Fired. Yes. Wait, no say that. Please say I, that again. It, it's over 70%. I can't remember the exact statistics. Over 70% of people say that they would forego a raise to see their boss fired. Now, I, 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 I talked to several people when I wrote this book. One of them, well, there's several stories that'll just blow your mind. But one of them was this. She was working in a company. She kept like, she's doing a great job. And this is what we do to people who are doing a great job in our company. What do you do? Give them more work. They kept giving her more work and more work and more work. And she said to me, Crystal, if I died today, they would pull me out of my chair and somebody else would be sitting in there tomorrow. So to your point, don't serve the system, serve the individuals and put the systems around them to help them be successful. And ultimately, that's what this is about. I can't wait for you to read it. I want your feedback. I really do. I promise I will. I'll take notes. I, I'm a copious note taker in all things. And so, yes, I promise I will give you feedback. So now let's make a transition over to self-awareness. Clearly, you care about people and development and relationships and self-awareness is a huge part of that. Oftentimes, we can't be a people person or have those soft skills to build people if we're not aware of first who we are. So, you know, we're going to talk about the Enneagram in a moment and reveal your Enneagram type, but how important <laughs> has self-awareness been on your journey? It's, it's been really huge. And I think the, the more that I've personally grown in that self-awareness journey has helped me become a better leader. And I think the people that I have interacted with that had the least self-awareness were the, the, the worst bosses that I've had. And I, I really do believe that self-awareness is key. It can be taught. It can be taught. It's a process. And that's what I love about what you're doing in your company, your business, your mission and passion, because you're helping people become better humans, but also become better leaders through that awareness piece. Wow. Yes, absolutely. And thank you. You're always so encouraging and encouraging and exciting and energetic (laughs) and passionate and all words that we would use versatile, adventurous all words we would use to describe a type seven on the Enneagram. (laughs) And 
<laughs> I've found, and I've yet to be proven wrong. Type sevens are the most naturally gifted entrepreneurs, leaders in the workplace. I find I do a lot of work with a really large financial firm, one in particular, and they ask, Hey, which is the number? What are the numbers that typically you've seen in leadership or rise to the top? And sevens are amongst the top of them. So we spent some time, I, I had a session with you introducing you to the Enneagram and we spent some time seeing what a type seven is. And I'm just going to read through this first page, uh, the internal drivers. And this is what sets the Enneagram apart is it doesn't just tell you what you do or how you do it. And I know that you are a skilled professional using the disc. This leans really heavy into the why. And I find that the disc and the Enneagram really complement each other well above all other assessments. But having those internal drivers, knowing what you avoid, what you pursue, your dominant struggle, and then your fulfillment message. I'm going to read this and I want to know what it means to you from a professional and a type seven, the type seven enthusiast avoids commitment, being deprived, trapped, emotional pain, being limited, bored, or missing out. What does that mean to you? Well, I know that I used to tell my directors that don't let me get bored. <laughs> Because that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, when I first took the VP position in the company, I went to my boss and I said to him, I feel like I need to get my master's. And this is before they had sent me to Harvard or anything. And he said, you really need to bloom where you're planted. You need to, you know, go learn the field and, and do the you know, field work because I didn't have any uh, experience at all running a gas company, service, construction, engineering, uh, all that stuff. I didn't know. So I got my hard hat, my boots on and my PPE bag. And I went out and started learning. But then I started to apply the people side of the business into that learning experience and created a whole program called the Ride Along Program. People in the field kept saying, I wish my supervisor was out here. I wish my supervisor was out here. So I go to my team, my director team, and I said, how often are you guys in the field? How, how much were we out there with our folks? And they said, we're too busy. Well, they were all engineering folk, uh, leaders. They were engineers by trade. And so they love the paper, they love the data, they love the analysis, they love the projects and contracts, but the people were out there and the people were hungry. So we started a whole program and we went ahead and, and deduced it to an actual checklist, if you will, for those leaders that like the checklist and help them get out there. But I would always tell them, don't let me get bored because if I get bored, I'm gonna take something apart and put it back together. So not only did we start the ride along program, I went back and started getting my master's. I was on an airplane 52 weeks of the year, getting my master's, running 47 cities on the west side of Texas, a uh, single mom. And, uh, and I was just uh, doing what I do, which is get involved in way too much stuff, overcommit myself and uh, stay very busy. So yes, I understand what you just said to me. <laughs> yes. Well, I love that because it, 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 it's what you avoid and naturally what you're going to avoid. The strength of understanding what you avoid with the Enneagram is knowing how can you leverage then that to push you towards things that are more productive. Mm. If you're avoiding it and it pushes you towards destructive behavior, it's, it's a very fine line. And I see in you, it pushed you towards more, more impact and more support and just really in a positive direction. It can be so then the other too. side. I'm so glad you said that though, because it can be so destructive. You talked about space in that cup. 
that coffee cup. And some, and I think with my personality, what I'm hearing today, and this is so fun, like I could do this for another hour or two, but I think that space in the cup, I tend to not give any room for the sugar and cream. I have to fill it all the way to the top. And what I'm learning here, and this is part of that good self-awareness is I don't want to overcommit. And I tend to have that issue of overcommitting, which then hurts somewhere else, whether it be at home whether it be sacrificing in relationships and different things like that. So I hear you and I, I'm absolutely loving that piece right there. Well, I'm glad that you're able to take that and apply that. I know you will because professionals are never out of school. So I know you're going to apply it. (laughs) The flip side of the avoids is the pursues, which is for the type seven enthusiasts to being happy, fully satisfied or content. They seek to get the most from life and every experience Mm -hmm. How does that, how do you identify with that? I I can breathe that in all day. I truly live for, I mean, my mom wonders if I sleep and it's not because I'm super busy. Some of it is, but I really truly have a zest and and zeal for life. I, there's, they call me sunshine rainbow girl. And that's a nickname I've had for a long, but I just, I really do love what I get to do every day. And I think from reading the personality, you know, the assessment, the Enneagram is that if I'm not enjoying it, I'm not loving it, then I'm going to move on to something else that I do. And as you know, working with people, when you're passionate about something, you know, when I first graduated, so I went back to school and ended up getting my undergrad in psychology and my mentor at the time, she gave me a book when I graduated. And at the time I was probably making about $30,000 a year. And the book was Secrets of Six-Figure Women. And first of all, I couldn't believe that someone believed that I was ever going to make six figures. I just, that was mind-blowing to me. I just couldn't believe that she thought that. But then second of all, as I read the book from cover to cover, I realized the theme in that book was that the women that were successful at that six-figure level were doing something they were passionate about. They loved what they were doing. And if you love what you're doing, you're never going to work a day in your life. Now, sometimes it's hard, but you're not working. And I think that's how I can relate to what you just said, just loving what I do every day. Yes, absolutely. And it's awesome to hear it, especially as you just continue to apply it to, I I may tend to want to move on or, you know, leave this place. And one encouragement that I offer to type sevens, it it always comes up. We all have these tensions that they just continue to surface. And as believers, that's where we continue to get to invite Christ into Mm -hmm. it, right? Where he solves it. The Enneagram is not a solution. It's just a tool and we get to invite the solution into it. Right. But one thing that I tell sevens is that it's not on the opportunity to bring you contentment. It's on you to bring contentment to the opportunity, mm. right? And we know in scripture, we'll be content in every circumstance, right? And so that's where, okay, I can want to get to the next thing, or I can get the most out of this thing, which always informs the next thing. If I give my all to this, the next thing will take care of itself. And I speak to that very, very adamantly because I'm a type eight with a seven wing. So those seven oh. characteristics are very heavy. I mean, probably another reason we connect so That's strongly. Right. And many of my best friends and best clients are sevens, of course. So, um, but Crystal, this has been an awesome time, such an encouraging time. And I believe it's just a launch pad because people are going to purchase your book and your materials and just continue to engage. And I'm just so honored that we've been able to work together and you having me speak to 
those that you lead and I can't wait. We are building a community as well. I don't think I've told you about this oh. uh, where we see that there's a problem and I'd love to get your feedback on this. We're just going to live on the air. get feedback. Okay, let's go. Small business owners. I didn't have a development director, someone dedicated to developing me until I worked for a fortune 500 company and mm -hmm. then for elevation church, which is a hundred million dollars a year but corrections, law enforcement, military, I never had that. And I didn't even know it existed. And so I started to see in the small business world, they don't have a development director, nor could they afford one. That's just not something they could fit on the budget. So what True Strategy is transitioning into is creating a growth community that essentially exists to be the small businesses development director. They can't hire me. I'm not for sale. But they can, with their teams, grow inside of this community and essentially outsource that development wow. from a small business or for a small team. So I would just love to hear your feedback on that. You've seen a lot of businesses. You've worked in a lot of businesses. How important or how impactful do you believe that's going to be in the market? Oh, I think it's huge. Well, I'll, I'll give you a personal story on that. So a big part of my journey, and I would challenge you because One Oak was a Fortune 199 company, and I grew up in that, but they, their focus was on technical, 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 not a lot of leadership and development. What set me apart and helped me really hone my skills was I actually on the side because, you know, my, I'm a seven. Now we all know this. <laughs> I was, I was uh, working in a direct sales organization and that direct sales organization was all about professional development. And I was selling a product, but it really was personal development, professional development. There was books, there was, you know, they really encouraged growth. So in the company, you know, people were growing technically. I was growing personally and in my professional development, exactly what you're talking about in a community, but I was obviously charged with selling a product. This brilliant idea that you have is something I think people, if they can get really plugged into, they're going to see, and even if they're in a company where they're maybe not a leader yet, this is a great community to get involved with because they're going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And I mean, I, I, I guarantee that professional development prepared me and paved the way for me to continue to grow and lead in that organization really wow. set me apart. And I can only guarantee and believe that that organization was forever changed because of you developing you. Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate your insight and your feedback. I love gleaning that wisdom from people like yourself, but there's no one like you. I've, I've truly, truly mean it. I've loved and enjoyed our time. And you know what really sets it apart? My wife really enjoyed yeah. you when we met in Tampa. And she is like, the, I, I'm, I'm more excitable of a person. I really love all people. I, I almost put you in a place to prove me wrong. <laughs> My wife, not so much. She is like the barometer, like, do we like this person? And she absolutely loved you. So you're a treat. And I'm just so thankful that you have taken the time to speak to our audience and our listeners and really how you're dedicating your life to developing others. You do not have to do this anymore, mm -hmm. but you're still doing because it it's not about you. It's about those that you serve. Yeah. So as we close, I just, I, I'm so like this. I, I want more, but and see, as an eight, my dominant struggle is excess. I always want more. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard for me to wrap up an interview. Final words of encouragement. This is the last thing a business owner hears and it's your words. What are you telling them? I'm going to tell them, don't give up. I'm going to say it's very hard. There's times where it's challenging. It seems that everybody wants to be discovered, but they rarely want to go through the development piece. There's a gap between the results and the development phase. It's like an iceberg. 
3%, you can see 97% is in the developmental phase. Stay there, stay in development. If you stay consistent and persistent, you'll get there. Whatever you do, don't give up. I know it's going to be hard, but my advice for you is you'll look back. You've come this far. Whatever you do, stay the course. You can do it. Don't give up. I took that personally. I, I, I really did internalize that. And thank you. And I felt you're speaking to me and anyone else that's listening. And especially after 2020, 100,000 plus businesses shut down. That doesn't mean you have to give up. Your business might have shut down and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, maybe I want to get back out there again. I happen to stumble across this. Let this be your encouragement to, to tell you that just because that business is done doesn't mean you are. That's right. So you can get back out there. Crystal, Thank you. Thank you again so much. Thank you all for listening to another episode of More Than Numbers Enneagram for Business. There you have it, folks. We are launching the True Strategy Growth Community, a community dedicated to you and your team's development, both in soft skills, relational skills, but also practical skills and workshops to help you grow your business. True Strategy is going to become the development director for small businesses. So if you're interested in learning more about our 30-day free trial to experience that community, visit us at truestrategy.info. We'll see you next time.